Grand Moth Tarkin, I am honored by your visit. Hey, welcome back to Grand Moth Tarkin, delicately curated, long-form discussion of the internationally beloved Star Wars saga tailored to the modern fanatic, brought to you lovingly and bi-weekly, you know what, no, weekly increments by the loquacious yet soothing voices of your hosts, Riley. Hi! Jake, that's me, and Isaac. <laughs> Guys, I he think He read need... that. He doesn't have it memorized. Oh, absolutely not. I refuse to memorize it. I have it, it memorized now, I think. There's a lot of things in my brain. I don't need that in there, taking up a lot of space, because mm. it would. Um, we need to address something yeah. right up top. Let's let's dress. We need to... We're, first Pass. of all, we need to get dressed. <laughs> we also need to address something in an envelope and send it to someone, and then we need to talk about a situation, which is... The situation, the circumstances in which we're recording this episode, it's under duress. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. We last It's under week, dress? <laughs> it's under dress. We have to send it to an address. We need to talk about the circumstances under which we're recording this episode because it's a little bit under duress. Um, there's, last week, three people, I'm not going to say who they were, but it might have been us, got together, we recorded for... I guess I just said it was us. We recorded <laughs> for oh approximately four hours at least, at least about Attic of the Clones. Hitting that subscribe button yeah. is free, guys. Yeah. Keep that in mind as you listen to this. The consequences of listening to it might last forever, but hitting that subscribe button, just fine. So we recorded for a long time. It's going to be a two-part episode. I think we all walked away from it saying that was our best episode. We had so mm-hmm. much fun. We got really into the weeds with attic of the clones and george lucas came on the episode it was so big to have him on that show and he was so loving he gave so many details that nobody ever knew about star wars before that part is a lie but we really should mention (laughs) it was a good episode it was a good episode i don't want people to think that this is a bit because it's not a bit we got a text a couple days after that episode from riley and explain riley what happened explain to the american public what has happened well look no one is perfect. Me, especially. You know, we all make mistakes. And it is possible that uh, about 10 minutes after we started recording, <laughs> one of the microphones stopped working. Oh, no. But who, wh- whose microphone was it? You know what? I don't really see how that's important. <laughs> it could have been my microphone. Could have been. I thought, about, really I thought been. about just releasing it without Can like, the next topic like, so be whose back is to the audio in this room? <laughs> you know what? That's a great question. <laughs> I should be looking at the at the screen while we're recording. But I'm that not. is true. The way we're configured is, and this is what people really want to know about, is yeah. sitting around the table. A little BTS. Riley, yeah. Riley uh, is never looking at the sound screen, and I can't see it because he's blocking it. So if there's an error, it's, it's my fault. fault. Yeah. It's Isaac's fault. Hey, guys. Yeah. Grand Moff talking. Yeah. About so, my errors. We are going to talk about Attic of the Clones. Yeah. We're going to talk about it probably for as long of amount of time as we did before. But I just wanted to acknowledge it because if it sounds like we're a little bored with this conversation, it's because I think there's a part of us that is – we've talked – we, we couldn't imagine bored. saying any more about this movie ever in the our lives. The disclaimer up top that this episode is probably going to suck is always a good one for new new <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Welcome to a podcast that we don't want to record, everybody. Um <laughs> No, we do want to record it because I think that we can all agree that this is the best one. <laughs> I think unanimously we can... No? No, I don't think I'll say that. I will say it's not the worst one. Mm. Riley has some opinions, which we'll get to in our next episode. I I will say this. 
the thing that was hard for me about having to come and re-record this is because I was really effusively praising it. Attic. I'm not going to keep saying Attic of the Gloves. <laughs> that, was was, good, that was a carryover a, joke from the last episode, Yeah, guys. it was a good book. If you were really listening big. to our last episode, then you'll understand that I joke. I was passionate about this Attic of the Clones bit, and now it's the, the love for it is dead. We already you know? did it because we did the Phantominus, so we have to stick with Attic. It's true. So Attic of the Clones I it holds a special place in my heart hole, which is... I think if I really search deep down, this is probably my favorite Star Wars movie. It is not the best Star Wars movie. I would say perhaps objectively it is the worst one, but I think it is my favorite one. So I was really excited to talk about it, and now I'm in a position where I'm not all that excited to talk about one of my favorites. But but still keep listening, guys. But really keep listening. <laughs> Don't It'll, you we'll dare. Make it, we'll make it fun, I swear. I'm going to actively make it not fun to listen to, actually. I'm not saying George Lucas won't come on the show right now, but... <laughs> He might make an appearance. He it's was really kind to stop on the show. Long night. Long time. So, <laughs> Riley, you had something you wanted to say up top. In addition That's to the right. other preamble, That's now right. there's a second preamble, a which second is about one. to happen yeah. right now. So I listened back to our Phantominous episode. I'm sorry to hear that. Both of them. Yeah, I had to listen to them multiple times. Did you discover how weird our voices are? <clears throat> I cannot. I don't want to talk about my voice because I'll start crying. I hate my voice. <laughs> oh. oh. But... Um, I was very negative about the Phantom Menace, Phantominus, and I realized, I, I sat down and I thought about why I was so negative, and it's because we- I'm, Because I'm, your I'm heart's made of coal. Yeah, I'm a depressed person and yeah. I don't like living. Yeah. But aside from that, mm. um, it's not a movie that is for me and my age that I am currently. When it came out in theaters, oh boy. no, seriously, <laughs> we're like the same age as you. What is that? <laughs> I'm just saying, when it came out in theaters, I love that movie, and I realized there's right. a whole generation that grew up, and that was Star Wars for them, and they love it. And I don't want to bash things that they love because Star Wars isn't only for me and for people my age. It is for everybody, and there's a lot of bad stuff happening in the world, you guys. And I don't want to add to the negativity. My hand is on my heart. It is true. Moment. I can confirm that's happening. Yeah. I don't want to add to the negativity in this world. I want to try and find the good things about these movies. Overall, I think it will come through that I am not a fan of the prequels. And I'm just going to say that right now. But I'm going to find the good in these prequels and be a happy person. Well, great. <laughs> yeah, we're all really excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> Thank you for um, kindly informing us of your newfound look on life to was, be a positive about movies. I was way more eloquent last time. It's true. Um, guys, go back and listen to our episode that you can't possibly ever listen to. But um, <laughs> We'll cut back on talking about that last episode. <laughs> but So we're, we're going to talk about Attic of the Clones. Should we talk about kind of the age we were when we saw this movie? One of the more insufferable parts of this podcast is that it's three millennials talking about why the prequels <laughs> are good. Old people are going to love this thing. Um, but my story is not really interesting. I saw it and I thought it was great, but Isaac, you had an, actually kind of like an interesting oh. thing about this movie. <laughs> it's hard to tell what that you noise is. <laughs> what I really appreciated is I presented the story to you guys about Attack of the Clones and you all, you both of you were just so enthused <laughs> to hear. It was single-handedly the most boring story. I warned you up front. Heard. It would be long. He's lying right now. Abbreviate <laughs> it for people who are already about to turn off the podcast forever. If I could abbreviate it, I would, but I can't. So here we go. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the thing about Attack of the Clones is 
every other Star Wars movie I have seen in theaters except for Attack of the Clones. Whoa. Yeah. And there really wasn't any real rhyme or reason to it except that I was 10 years old at the time. And so I was still dependent on my parents to get out of the house to go out and do things. And it just didn't happen for whatever one reason or the other. You didn't think to hijack your parents' car, steal a car, go drifting and like get a ride from some creep? To the movie theater? No, they, they. My parents taught me values. They taught me not to. That's a shame. Talk to strangers, not to drive illegally. So really, when you combine those two, I. What are you gonna do? I put my pants on one square at a time, like every other kid of that age. That was good. So, if 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 we must, now that I'm looking through this, a lot of this is a lot of superfluous detail, which huh. I might, <laughs> I might put on a bonus podcast that I'll put out on my own podcast feed <laughs> at a later date. So, honestly, looking through this... Okay, so I didn't actually get to see it until it came out, like, to home video at the time, which was still a thing. Home video cassette. Did you get it, it was, on VHS? Yes. Yeah. The Kroger movie section. Kroger yeah. is a grocery store in the Midwestern United States for all of our listeners You know, abroad. when I established, when I mentioned Half Price Books in that first episode, you people... Certain people whose name shall remain Riley cut out the part where I explained that it's a chain. <laughs> They're like, everybody knows what Half Price Books is. We have listeners all so around the world. I So I don't think it's fair that that was cut the out. The fact that the thought anyway, didn't occur to you, I was riffing on that same subject, <laughs> is surprising to me. So I want to hear about this. <laughs> well, yeah, so I went. We, we got it from the Kroger video section, and I don't remember like my first impressions of the movie, honestly. The only thing I remember is that on the VHS copy, they had the deleted scenes on the VHS after the movie was over, and they would have like a little like one paragraph description of the scene before it would play. And then my, my parents like di- weren't too keen on the one scene where it described love blossoming between Anakin and Padme <laughs> because they thought in this PG movie that something freaky was about to go on. And so we had to fast forward through that. I had to like avert my eyes, go away. Anyway, I don't remember how many times I saw it after that, honestly, until I bought it. It was the last purchase I ever made at the Walmart that I used to go to a lot before Walmart's it an American across the street. Chain of places. Uh, looking through my list again, trying to think of the things. The the, the story is so much Are worse when I can't tell that, all the details. Uh, no, there's not really a story here. The story is perfectly fine. It's it's the oppression that I'm feeling right now that's uh, taking down the quality of the story. So you didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it in theaters. It's what we are to take away from this conversation. If we, I don't think these details mean anything. They really don't, except I'm wanting the listener to get to know me. I'm sorry. I am sorry, too. <laughs> I want them to get to know you like I do. I'm kind of done with the story, really, the uh, the important parts, because the rest of it, yeah, it's it's fine. The The special features, that's what really kind of got me into like special features for Star Wars movies, because that was the first one I had on DVD. And I watched the crap out of those. And what was great about those is there were just so many. That's kind of one of the complaints I have about kind of the uh, the new movies like Rogue One and TFA. How it definitely feels like they're, I don't know if they're holding back necessarily. Maybe the, even the market these days just doesn't dictate having a ton of special features on DVDs anymore. I, considering YouTube, the internet, all that stuff. They are literally holding back because they released more special features with the second release of TFA, which is infuriating. That's really, yeah. it's, it's I was so really mad about ridiculous. That. Do you do guys that. remember like the twelve-part web documentary that they would have on all the the prequel DVDs? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. They would take you inside. Okay, here's the the creature shop. Like here's Nickelodeon doing his thing. 
here's the prop department, here's the costume department. Yeah. One of the, it may have been the uh, Within a Minute documentary on Revenge of the Sith, either part of that or just part of the regular, like, the web docs. They, like, took you to the woman who would, like, rub leather together to give, like, these, like, super... Yeah, the super, Foley sound effects. Yeah, like, the ones that were buried, like, 39 tracks deep. Like, right, yeah. you got to go in the studio with her, and, like, you got to see her, and then Hayden Christensen going, like, uh, uh, <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, it's her, like, waving a tarp to make the sound of, her like, their robes, and then, yeah, and yeah. then making weird lightsaber grunts. Yeah, because supposedly the movie would take on a completely different tone if you didn't have... <laughs> <laughs> the the leather chaps rubbing against each other. Thankfully, the movie struck a perfect tone in every critic's eyes. Yeah. So now that I'm done talking about Revenge of the Sith, that's my story about Attack of the Clones. <laughs> so it's hard to know what to make of any of that. But the important so, thing is, so would you say though, like, so you didn't see this one in theaters, but is this like the one you've seen the least then, or what? The funny about that is, honestly, I'm ready to laugh. I, <laughs> buckle up, but <laughs> chuckle up. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i would I, maybe total number overall is the original trilogy just because that's the one i had oh, sure growing up and that's the one i had from ages five until i got the the prequels and stuff on dvd from the moment i bought that movie onward attack of the clones might be the star wars movie that i've i've watched the most and absolutely it's the one i've watched the most just maybe specific parts of where there was like the for me like the highlight action scenes like the geno really like from this party's over. This party's over until the end of the movie. I've seen that sequence more than probably any other thing in Star Wars. Huh. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I um, that's a case for me too. This is a movie for me. I don't have a great you know origin story for seeing it because I just saw it. But this is the movie that, for whatever reason, I've seen the most times. It's once again, it's not the best of the Star Wars movies, but I think that for whatever, there's something about it that I find really compelling and weird and strange, and I, it's one that I like to pop on. It makes me think about life. My story um, is not that exciting. I saw this at midnight. I saw the first one at midnight, which was like the greatest experience of my life. How did you even do that? Because that was a huge deal. Is that hardly uh, anybody could even get tickets for a long time. A friend of mine had, had tickets and mm. was going with his other friend. And then that other friend got sick and Good. couldn't go. That's great. So then I jumped in. No, and then kid. with the second one, we just made plans ahead, way ahead of time. That kid get better? And, uh, no. Wait, was it me? Good. Yeah. What? I get sick a lot. Oh, yeah, it was you. I don't Sorry. know if we've talked about this. The old Lego butt. Yeah. <laughs> Strikes that, back. Old Lego <laughs> butt J Jake. Yeah, speaking of which. The old LBJ. That one's gotten a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that one's gotten a lot worse, too. My doctor's telling me that I'm going to have to swap out my torso now for a Ninjago torso. So it's. Yeah, the second one I went and saw it at midnight, and it was great. I loved it. You enjoyed it at the time? Yeah. No, I really did. Hmm. It was great. Interesting. This one, uh, one thing I will say is I remember this, this was the first time I saw a movie like that where the audience was just like electric and was like really reacting to stuff and it had a strong impression on mm -hmm. me. Like I still hear the crowd popping in my head when, when Yoda walks in. This movie was a crowd pleaser. There was a lot of like fun crowd pleasing moments that uh, the Phantom Menace did not necessarily have. We're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's jump into this movie because um, I dare say that listeners care more about that than, than us, us <sighs> sitting in a chair watching a movie. Um, so this movie, one of the things that I love about it is there's a lot of really compelling visual 
symbolism in it. Um, this one has a lot of interesting techniques with like shadows and um, silhouettes, which is interesting. Um, this opening shot in particular, I find really cool. The opening shot of the movie is um, where it says Star Wars. That's my favorite part. You sound like a real Trevorrow head with all these facts <laughs> of shadows and d denoting light and dark. I really liked for this one how they actually had the actor names at the start of the movie. Like five yeah. movies in, George Lucas finally caves into the Screen Actors Guild. He's like, fine, guys. What? Starring Hayden Christensen. Yeah, I don't remember that. Well, when I got it on VHS <laughs> at Kroger. What kind of work is Kroger doing to these DVDs and VHSs? Did I get a fan edit accidentally? <laughs> <laughs> you might have gotten the you might have gotten Topher Grace's copy of this. This movie, movie literally was, was called Attic of the Clones. That's what it we've been calling it. It then. takes place in an attic. Yeah, that and wasn't the movie. What? So the opening shot of this movie is cool. The, there's this shimmering silver ship. And I am here's where I can confess. I'm a big fan of Star Wars. I don't know if we've talked about this first of all. Do we like Star Wars on this podcast? It's 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 it makes my my the AF Isaac top one hundred, <laughs> at least two of them. I regret asking this question. <laughs> Isaac, do you like Star Wars? I'm Riley. You looked at Riley. You said Isaac. <laughs> you at home listening to this podcast this right is now. The worst podcast that anyone has ever this recorded. Is so bad. We need to start over. <laughs> no, we need to start I over. Oh, I don't want to talk about boy, how I oh saw boy. it. No, we're not going to talk about. It. We would just skip over that and just talk about the movie. We will edit this down to seven minutes. I'll edit. I'll edit it. We're fine. Let's just talk about the movie. Just read. Please subscribe, just guys. Just start talking about this dumb <laughs> ship going down to the dumb planet in this oh, stupid God. movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the opening shot of this movie, Riley thinks it's a pilot garbage. Um, I like it a lot. Oh. Basically, the ship is like slowly descending and turning upside down slowly. Which I like a lot because this is the kind of point in the Star Wars saga where everything starts to turn on its head. You know, this is where Anakin starts to officially walk down the path of the dark side. It's where the seeds of the Empire, you can finally see Palpatine's plans start to come to fruition. And you see, oh, this is how this is all going to start coming about. And so to have this opening shot be a ship, like, descending and flipping upside down. And then into this, like, foggy atmosphere, which is really ominous, I... I like it. I think I it's was a really compelling shot. Going with that fog thing, that's a thing, like, if you're a ring theory head like this guy right here pointing to myself yeah, he with his thumb. Yeah, he put a big ring on his head. It's yep. really uncomfortable <laughs> to look at. It's called a headpan, Jake. I play basketball. Oh, that's right. Just came back from my rec league basketball game with the boys. <laughs> the fact that the Empire Strikes Back ends with you leaving a city of clouds, ascending from a city of clouds in episode two, according to ring theory, which is kind of mirroring... Empire Strikes Back, you're descending into clouds. And so that nice little mirroring technique right there, noticing that, that's just these little little things that Yeah, I like it a lot. I like it too. I should clarify because I think I didn't really chime in on the ring theory thing when we talked about it with the Phantominus, but I find that stuff really interesting. And I think that there is definitely a lot of intention behind the mirroring and composition of the shots in these movies, obviously, because I won't shut up about one shot of Attack of the Clones, but I think some of it's reaching. I think some of the ring theory is a little reachy, but I find a lot of it really compelling. So I'm a little bit in the middle yeah. on ring I'm a, You're ben, like a, I'm a real Bendu. Yeah, millisecond, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, 
I find with the Rain Theory, if we're just going to pause and talk about, talk about Rain Theory for a second, which I at least am going to do right now. Hit pause on your podcast while yes, we talk about hit it. Hit pause on your podcast. <laughs> we'll be done in like five minutes. But I find with the Rain Theory, yeah, like I really like it. I, I do find as like a prequel lover myself, it is almost like it's either going to, you're either going to do it one or two things. If you don't like the prequels, you're going to dismiss it probably. And if you like the prequels, you're going to like treat it as gospel. Which, as with anything in life, the answer is going to lie somewhere in the middle where there's too much stuff for George Lucas to not have intended a lot of these things, a lot of these mirroring techniques. Even he himself said it's like poetry. It rhymes. Hopefully right. it works out. But <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for using the full quote. Thank that you. Thank you. Says. Thank you. But yeah, it's like it's a lot of like if you don't like the prequels, like oh this is stupid. This guy doesn't know what he's talking. Or like it, I, I I've seen online especially like a lot of people attack Mike Climo, who the guy who wrote this, saying like yeah. and like Please this come on the show. Yes, thank you. Actually, Mike Climo, follower of Grand Moff Talking on Twitter. True story. Mike Climo come on the show. Please. There's no way he's made it this far into the episode, but if he is, please come on the show. We are not joking. Actually, no. I love your work. We're yes, talk about we it. We do. You. Be our best friend. Yeah, please. You can be one of Isaac's boys who plays basketball with him. How do you feel about Ring Theory, Riley? Have you read this? Yeah, uh, yeah, I read it after we talked about it on the episode one. See, oh, so you didn't really? No, I had never, I had never heard it before. You guys brought it up. Interesting. Um, I guess he could have gone into it with that intention. I don't know if he did. I think it's giving a lot of credit. I, and I, or a lot I, of credit. A lot of credit. Let's go back. I I don't <laughs> want to. I don't want to talk bad about George Lucas because I like George Lucas a lot, and I think he's he's one of your close friends. He's one of my close friends, and he's done a lot of great things. And overall, I am very happy that George Lucas has done what he's done in regards to all of Star Wars. I don't know. That's giving him a lot of credit for this whole thing, and it. I think a lot of it is coincidence. I think. You can just have coincidence. I don't know if he planned. I, I know he wanted poetry, and I think he did want it to rhyme. I don't know if he sat down and thought, "Well, I'm gonna." You don't make, know if he's I, William Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, Bill Shakespeare. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he. Sat down. He's another close personal friend of yours. You can call him. Yes. Come on the podcast, William Shakespeare, please. He I don't remember returning my calls for a long time. <laughs> it's getting awkward. <laughs> I don't think he sat down and thought, "I'm gonna make this episode rhyme with this episode, and the ending of this one is going to mirror this one." Really? I, no, I don't think that. I don't think that's how it worked. I think he wanted to reference a lot of the original trilogy, and wanted it to rhyme in certain ways, and I think it worked. But I think we're also adding a whole lot to what he probably to things he probably didn't think about. I think that's fair with a lot of literature. There's a lot of intention behind it, but then when you love something, you're looking for connections that a lot of times the creator didn't intend. And that doesn't mean they're not there, but mm -hmm. sometimes they're unintentional because when you're putting yourself into something, there's a lot of your subconscious that gets in there. Yeah. So I think that it's fair to say that a lot of the connections are intentional and, and obvious to see. Some of them, it's hard to say whether or not they were intentional. I tend to, like I said, lie somewhere in the middle of this and, and think that he did a lot of really cool stuff with it that I think was obviously intentional. And some stuff I, I wonder... Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah, and <laughs> what I find, honestly, like, let's... But still, please come on the show. Thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, I'd love to talk about it more. Absolutely. Yes. I just, I don't know if I subscribe to it. Yeah. What I think, though, is let's say that this Rain Theory thing is completely off. Like, if George Lucas comes out tomorrow and says that I intended none of this, you injected all of this. If he holds a press like, conference and there's like thousands yeah. of cameras flashing and like NBC News, like all the nightly yes. news programs are like holding a microphone right under his face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he were to say that tomorrow, 
I don't think that would necessarily diminish what he did, though, because take any movie, book, any sort of literature, any story that has existed. Like green eggs and ham. Yes, take a green eggs and ham. Sure. And the fact that millions of people have injected their own meaning into your work, that says a lot about your work in itself. You don't have to do all the work where, once again, you take any movie, any run-of-the-mill movie that did fine at the box office, a few people liked, and you don't get those millions of people who are putting themselves into that story, who are getting their own meaning out of the story, who are writing think pieces about this story. The fact that Star Wars exists and people have put their own meaning into it, that says something about the man who created it, about the people who created it. Also, you know, like Jurassic World, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, because our Riley's favorite director, Colin Trevorrow, please come on the show, yeah. is directing. Actually, it. can I come out and say this? Yes. Do not come on the show, Colin Trevorrow. Oh, I Colin. Don't, I do not want it to happen. If that happens, I will be so upset and mad for the whole time. <laughs> We're in no position to turn away. We know who the guest. negative Nancy is on this show. It's yeah. me when it comes to... Mr. Trevor. Hey, Colin, we're nice. Me and Isaac, we like you. Mm -hmm. and we want to talk to you. Riley won't be here. If you come on the show, no. he won't be here. We're recording at Riley's house, but that's that's small potatoes. He can go out and grab us a cup of coffee or something. We'll yeah. send him like 10 miles down the road. So it takes him a while. Trevor's face. Oh, my goodness. So what I was saying <laughs> is like. why? And I, then I promise we'll actually talk about Star Wars. But, you know, like Jurassic World is a humongous movie. It's not a movie where people are like agonizing over the broader themes of Jurassic Park, you know, there's a couple pretty obvious, you know, points they're trying to make, and after that, it's just kind of fluff, and that's fine, it can be that, not every movie has to be art, like, to a degree where you're analyzing it, some, it, art can also just be frivolous and, and fun, Star Wars, I think, is frivolous and fun, and there's deeper meaning in it, and I, that's what is fun about it, um, so to get back into Star well, Wars. And just one more thing before we get back. The really hard thing about this discussion, and then we can definitely move on, the thing that's hardest to discuss while doing this is the fact that George Lucas is a very complicated man just by the the quotes that he's put out. Like, and, and not, you don't have to be complicated as in, like, he's highfalutin, like, high IQ, because anyone can detract from anybody saying that they aren't as smart as they think they are. What I'm saying is that he said a lot of, a lot of things that would seem to contradict one another the fact that he is so committed to his art form yet he also made a special deal so that he could be in charge of the marketing for he could own all the marketing stuff for star wars he could be in charge of that he could make all the money back from the the products they put out for this movie the fact is he's and he doesn't really hide from it either he kind of talks out of both sides of his mouth and not necessarily in a bad way it's just he's kind of he's like any other person where he he kind of has I don't know, a, a lot of different agendas, a lot of different things that he likes to do. And so trying to pin, we're, we're trying to pin a linear person down that doesn't really exist, I think, in the end sometimes. I don't know what that means, but it sounded smart. I'm going to go back and listen to it. And wow, thanks. It. I'm going to give it some deeper artistic investigation. Are you going to subscribe to that? <laughs> How many times did you listen to Isaac's monologue in theaters? Over 500 <laughs> times? I wonder. So, we... <laughs> <laughs> so okay free podcast guys. i think by the way we discussed uh, kind of after we recorded last week's episode that we we're gonna jump around the going scene by scene we're not like s smart enough and controlled enough to do that so we might go off the rails a little bit as you probably control. haven't noticed learn control <laughs> i think while we're going off and talking about broader topics maybe we should start broad and narrow in on this movie i want to talk about speaking of broad topics riley bring your wife on the show oh <laughs> 
<laughs> some like guy from the 1940s just walked in and did something really offensive and then just left. It was really strange. Um, 1940s man, please come on the show. Please come back so we can ask you about why you said that. <laughs> um, a broader topic about this movie because it starts off with all these CGI spaceships, right? Mm-hmm. CGI is kind of a lingering complaint that looms over this movie in particular because this was the first Star Wars movie shot all in digital. And am I wrong? Only one of two, right? Because only this and Revenge of the Sith were shot all in digital. Was this the first mm. movie period that was shot all digital? No. It was not the first movie period. I it was the first I think it was the first It was one. the first of something. I think it was, it was the, the first, first major digital. like blockbuster picture like this. Mm. I don't think it was the first film. You know what though? We're not smart and we didn't do research, so it it was one know. of the it might be the first big budget whatever whatever it was it was was basically the first of its kind yeah it was a big deal and all those little featurettes that you were talking about isaac a lot of them kind of talked about the challenges they had figuring out this technology and so a big complaint that that lingers over this movie is that the cgi hasn't aged well and i think that's something we should talk about so then we can kind of move on because it's a thing that people bring up about it let's let's address it and then move on to more positive stuff to me though this is not a negative i have to say like this is something um, when I watch an old like monster movie from the 50s, uh, part of the charm of that to me is the kind of obvious sets and people in costumes and the fact that it's very obviously not real. There's a little, there's a charm, there's a quaintness to that kind of disconnect between the actors and the environments and creatures. Um, do you guys want to make any sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people complain about that disconnect with uh, these prequels. Maybe it's just because, like, we grew up with CGI movies, but that level of charm that I get from watching, like, an old Godzilla movie is the same that I get from watching Attack of the Clones, where some of the CGI, by the way, holds up just fine. Some of it does not, but that disconnect I find almost charming, and it adds to the aesthetic of why I enjoy the movie. It's Mm -hmm. a little quaint and a little outdated, but that adds to a certain atmosphere to it. I think that my problem is not that the CGI looks bad. Because it's 2002 era CGI, and it's not going to look great. But if you go back and watch the original trilogy, those special effects don't look great by today's standards either. My a lot of it, I think, looks fantastic, and then there's a lot of it like Jabba's Palace that I vis- visibly does not. I think my problem with it is the over-reliance on the CGI. Mm-hmm. When you have, you know, 20 minutes, it's not that long, but the, the conveyor belt scene, which is just all CGI. Yeah. I think that over-reliance is what kills it. Not that not that he, he used a lot of CGI. It's just that it's all CGI in parts of the movie like that. And I think that's what people, at least that's what I find annoying about, about it, is the over-reliance on it. Not that it looks bad because, that, you know. That actually reminds me of something that I remember – Filoni talked about it at the 40th anniversary panel. Dave Filoni, the director yes, Dave of Star Bologna, Wars Rebels. Direct, Star Wars Rebels. This is a rebellion, isn't it? <laughs> Filoni Rebels. He sure does. Yeah, come on the show, Filoni. Please do. Or, or a podcast re- or, that exists, why wouldn't you? Or rebel and don't. That'd be a lot better. No. Frankly. We'd like to talk to you. So I'd, I would freak out if we talked to Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni, you I walked past Filoni. That was my brush with stardom. <laughs> we were, yeah, you were in the same. Like you, you did it too, Jake. I don't oh know yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't yeah. notice it, but it, it happened. Yeah, we were walking to the convention center trying to get in, and Filoni walked right past us. He looked like he was not in the mood for conversation, so I did not say hi. <laughs> that's that's nice of you. Yes. Yeah. At the 40th anniversary panel of Star Wars Celebration, I remember Filoni talking about what George Lucas would do on when he was uh producing uh clone wars where 
he would come in one day to the guys working on the show and be like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Like, I don't like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but you guys figure it out. And that was, that's once again, we're going back to if it's a stylistic choice that you're okay with then fine. But if not, then fine, where that's just kind of look as a style where he's going to commit to something that he doesn't necessarily know how it's going to turn out. He doesn't necessarily even know how it's going to be accomplished, but this is what he wants to do. And so when you're talking about that conveyor belt scene, the over-reliance on CGI in the prequels, like I, I find that to be just something where Lucas was like, this is this technology that I've been waiting for to exist mm-hmm. since I got done with the original trilogy, and I'm going to ride this hard, and I'm going to hopefully usher in like a new era of filmmaking where people have this resource available to them. If we if we basically you, you, you try to get the 10,000-hour the rule going where you work on something so much. And... Malcolm Gladwell, please come on the show. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, you get something like that, and people just work, they work continuously on that, and you, you get that medium to a point where it can produce things like we saw in Avatar, things like we see in movies that we see today, where like in The Force Awakens, sometimes you couldn't tell what was practical and what was CGI, and so that was Lucas, just as much as he wanted to tell a good story, he also wanted to push the medium of film forward, which he's touched on different times too. Yeah, I think that... I guess, and then we can move on to the actual movie for real this time. But I um, thought of that bores me, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about it last week. <laughs> the you know the the complaint about over reliance on CGI to me is a little bit unfair because it's when you're over relying on something that means you're using it as a crutch because you don't have a better thing to do. And I don't think that's true. I think that he was making a conscious choice, like Isaac was saying. He's like, no, I know that I had this other option of using practical effects and miniatures, which he used a lot in even the Phantominus and this movie. If you watch the behind the scenes, there's a lot more practical sets and miniatures than you think there are. But he knew about those things. And he's like, no, I'm going to use this new thing. So to me, people talk about it as if it was a crutch, like he was hiding from something. Mm-hmm. And to me, I I think it's a shame that people view CGI as a lesser art form than like people crafting a like a really cool creature like Yoda puppet. Like the amount of work that goes into creating a digital Yoda is just as interesting and artistic a craft as creating a practical puppet Yoda to me. I think that we're still at this period where people seem to think that it's just people click on a button on the computer and it just pops up. Like that is, seems to be the complaint to me. As people said, the over-reliance on CGI, he just used a computer. It's like he didn't just use a computer. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of artists labored for thousands of hours to make this guys blink normal they went to digitalyoda.com and they pulled up digital yoda (laughs) (laughs) yeah right exactly that's like the thing in their head and i think that where i stand on this over-reliance thing is i don't think it's that it doesn't bother me maybe because i grew up with these kinds of movies and older star wars fans that grew up watching in their youths you know the original trilogy and that was the mind-blowing technology i can see that being a disconnect Mm -hmm. to me it's not a disconnect it's a conscious choice and one that i find to be just as interesting in art form but my personal preference, if I'm being honest, is miniatures and practical effects and, and things like that. So I just don't Can, think it looks as good. Yeah, and that's f- totally fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it, 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 it just it just comes <laughs> down to personal opinion. I don't and think it looks as good as it could. It doesn't. It doesn't look as good. All anyway, right. we're gonna talk about this yeah, movie that I on. like and I actually do want to talk about. So, okay. Attic of the Clones. Attic of the Clowns. <laughs> this movie. Um. You know what? And I'm going to skip ahead because we do need to start moving along with this movie. I was going to talk about the logistics of this bounty hunter kill. But 
I think that th- this was the first time I viewed it where it actually kind of made sense to me. The This explosion on the ramp. I want to briefly touch on this. Oh, yeah. Always confused me as a kid because it exploded from inside the ship. And it seems to me that if I'm a bounty hunter and I want to kill someone and there's a ship in space, that's a no-fail solution there. Blow it up in space, you know that they're going to die. But Padme was on a different ship, first of all. And also, he might, or she, I'm sorry, might not have blown it up. Like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, were the explosions, the explosives on the landing strip, were they, was that where they were, or were they in the ship? Yeah, like, that's one, the, the thing where I reconciled, like, in my head canon. And then we, we kind of had a, another conversation about this, where it was like, that was confirmed, like, somewhere else, where, like, the, the official story is that, like, the explosives were placed on a landing platform and not in the ship. Yeah, she, so- she says something when she's talking to Django about... I, I can't remember because it's been a while since I watched it. It's been a week. But I she says that something she just about says they use a double on the landing platform. Yeah, like I think the explosion came from the platform itself. You're right. And... Like the, the clearly the landing platform was part of her yeah. plan. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I understood. Like she didn't like that would make more sense because how would they get explosions? I keep saying explosions instead of explosives. How do you get explosion? <laughs> yeah, that that means she would have had that means she would have had to plant it on Naboo or right, something like that. Right, which is like so impossible. Yeah. So okay. I was gonna like that's if you want to apply real world logic to that. Star like explained. bounty hunters don't I, I guess have unlimited resources, so it might be expensive to try to get the explosives on the Break ship. Break into and... like a governmental ship. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, basically I'm an idiot and I didn't understand that. Okay, so come now. One thing that we should talk about. Um, this is where we meet a little actor called Hayden Christensen, and he is in this movie. Yes. We, the way we meet him with Obi-Wan in this elevator, I think is good. This is when we start getting some actual banter between the characters. This movie kind of brings fun banter back to Star Wars in a way that was not necessarily there in The Phantominous. I think the fun banter should have started with um, Anakin yeah, no, with Anakin saying, uh, boy, she master. She did her job. <laughs> she sure did. <laughs> they should have said, her an arm and a leg. Is what they could have said. That's what they could have said. Anakin should have said, boy, Obi-Wan, that mullet looks really bad on you. Let's go get a haircut right now. That's the banter I wanted. The movie should have started with them going to the barber and saying, yeah. hey, we've been living our lives wrong for like like 10 movie. years now. If you Google like a specific era of George Michael, the, the pop singer, not the George yep. Michael, the Arrested Development actor, it is it is staggering like how like sh- it, that was a shot-for-shot remake yeah. of George Michael. Was- not good hair. Not good this hair. was their CGI Tarkin. They CGI recreated <laughs> George Michael with Ewan McGregor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I like this interplay that they have in the in the elevator. It, I think that one of the strong points of um, Hayden Christensen's performance is when he's with Ewan McGregor. I think that we'll probably talk about his performance at other points because it's inconsistent. I think there are moments in this movie. One of the reasons why I'm fascinated by it is because every time I watch it, I have a different opinion of his performance. Sometimes I think he was doing something really interesting here. Sometimes I think he they got a bad take and they didn't take the good one that he did. <laughs> Is that like the whole like Lucas sometimes likes the bad take and likes the imperfection? I think so because you can watch his audition on those special features that we've talked about a million times now. Like you can watch his audition for the movie and you can watch them doing some takes of him during the uh, fireside scene with him and Padme. And he nails it. Like the the line is good and like compelling and you can see why they cast him. And then you watch it in the movie and it's real stilted and kind of weird so i i think that sometimes he just got a bad break from the you know editing choices that george mm. made but sometimes i think is he a good actor i just don't i don't know 
I think he has the potential. I think he needs a lot of guidance. There are movies that he's in where he's actually a pretty good actor. You're and saying if a Ryan Johnson directed him. That's what I'm saying. I, I go, Lucas I is a very good visual director and not great at, I think I might have said that in Finn Thomas' yeah, episode. Yeah. Which but, he admits but not, to. If yeah, the visual is to, the yeah. actor's mouth and their vocal cords, <laughs> Yeah, he, he's not great at, at directing the actual actors. And I think that hurts someone with not as much experience like Hayden Christensen. About right. Yeah, I George Lucas made that deliberate choice to take a more theatrical approach to the acting styles. He didn't go for the method acting Using style. his words, that's kind of like how he yeah. describes it. Yeah, yeah, and it was a choice that he made, which didn't land with a lot of people. But the fact that he may have... This is one of the things you may maybe can blame George for is that he made this choice, but then he cast actors who maybe weren't necessarily the best for these roles. Gotcha, and so yeah. you get like an Ian McDermott or a Ewan McGregor who's good at that sort of thing. But then you get like maybe Hayden Christensen or Natalie Portman who may have been good at it if they had been given the opportunity to do so over a long career, but they weren't really didn't have that sort of background. And so you kind of saw the results sometimes of not having the sort of acting chops that you would need to, to pull off a theatrical style of, of acting. To me, because that's, yeah, Isaac's using the words that George Lucas uses. I find theatrical style is not even the right words for what George Lucas is trying to express. What he's trying, and I'm not saying that you didn't express this. I'm saying George Lucas, I don't think that he ever accurately said. I think what he's trying to do, what he tried to do, is go back to, like, the way acting was in, like, the 30s and 40s. Classic Hollywood. Right, classic Hollywood. And this movie, visually, and, like, the lighting they use... Musically. And, and musically, like, the Across the Stars, which I'm sure we'll talk mm -hmm. about. It is a classic Hollywood love theme. And as much as I love this movie, that love story is the thing that doesn't work. I know that's a cliche to talk about, so maybe we can get it out of the way so that we can pretend that we're then going to talk about the movie, which we keep not doing. But we... <laughs> <laughs> this love story doesn't work because I think that when it comes to a love story in a movie, you can't have that disconnect. Like, when you watch a movie like, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind, or not Gone with the Wind, because that movie doesn't... But, like, Casablanca, right? That's a movie that holds up. It's old Hollywood. The love story holds up in that movie. I've talked about it 10 billion times, 10 billion one now, La La Land. I don't know if people know if it's a bit or not. I do actually like this movie because I keep saying disparaging <laughs> things about it. Believe me, he does. Yeah, I know. I won't shut up about it. One of my favorite movies the past few years. One of the things I really like about it is that the romance, the whole movie is obviously a throwback to old Hollywood. That's the whole aesthetic they're going for. But the acting is modern. It is naturalistic. Their interplay feels real, but the aesthetic they're going for works. And I think that was the mistake, if, if I'm going to criticize the love story, is I think that having this aesthetic of old Hollywood was a brilliant choice. But having the acting style be like this does not work for me. I think a modern romance has to feel modern. I, and I think it falls apart when you, like Isaac was saying, when you throw in actors like Ewan McGregor or Ian McDermott, and they are very good, right? and they seem modern. And and, this, and, and that's more getting into uh, the, the episode three because they're, they get even more to do in that one as when it comes to emotional things that they, that they get to do. But I think when you throw in good actors like that, and then you switch from a scene with Obi-Wan being like real cool and, and a detective case. And then you switch to a field with with Hayden and, and Natalie Portman. And it just it falls apart a little bit. So let's talk about this. 
because I want to be positive of this movie. I feel like we've yeah. said a lot of negative stuff. I really want to be positive. I did uh, mention at some point this is my favorite Star Wars movie, and I haven't said a whole lot of good things about it. Okay, one of the things I love about this movie, I feel like this is peak visual creativity for George Lucas. What I love more than anything is the thing that I think people don't like, which is the crazy juxtapositions. This movie takes place in all these different places, but there's kind of two things happening. Like in Empire, there was Luke's story and then the Millennium Falcon story. But the tone was the same throughout the movie. In this movie, there's two different stories, but it's like two different movies. There's this noir detective story with Obi-Wan, which has never been seen in Star Wars, this kind of vibe that they went for, where he's like going to a, like a seedy diner where he, ha- he kind of knows some contact who has uh, you know questionable knowledge about a shady situation and going and investigating this you know planet that's constantly in dark in the rain. That is juxtaposed against this really, like once again, old Hollywood romance when in a grassy field with sweeping violin music, and that juxtaposition is insane and really fun to watch to me. I don't know if it always works, but I I find it really like fascinating that the choices that he made there. How do you guys feel about this? Yeah, that's uh that's one of the things I love about Attack of the Clones, is it feels like some of the times it feels like the most unique Star Wars movie, like. Based like after I've seen these movies, number of times I've had it definitely it, it feels like it stands out, and I feel like for some people it stands out as being the worst. But I mean, I, I love it, but it it's it's has to be the most interesting to me. Yeah, that's the, the thing for me. Is I don't, yeah, it's not the best, but it's the most interesting. Yeah, because it is like you don't see a detective story in other, any other movie, and you get love stories, but not the type of love story in this movie. And like you just the, the stylistically, it, it's all over the place, but it's like not a bad all over the place to me. Like you do get you get a Coruscant chase you get we should talk like, about this Coruscant Naboo, chase Naboo you get yeah 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 this, I I like I I like the the changing tones um again my complaints are just with the acting between Natalie right. and Hayden but I I like the idea of switching back and forth I I don't think it's that hard to follow I like it no yeah and I think that one another thing that was something that I liked a lot about the Phantominus, but I like it about this movie too is that in almost every scene. You're in, like, a new place that you've not seen before. Like, you know, the movie starts off, and you're in this foggy environment uh, on this landing strip. And then it cuts to somewhere within the same city, but it's this, you know, regal interior of Palpatine's office. And then we cut to this, you know, uh, like, Padme's, well, her room at night. And then the place outside of her room is very different and, like, dark and mysterious. And there's this this tension in her room as these creepy bugs are crawling in. There's every scene is in a different kind of place. Even if it's on the same planet, it looks different from the last scene. And that's mm-hmm. something that has been lost a little bit with some of the newer movies for me. And it has, it's absolutely a movie that does like it, it, you don't get to catch your breath. I mean, it's going from like, it's, it's really hard to describe, but it's like in, in music, something I really like in, in, in a good song. Is a guitar. Yes. Yeah. And a guitar. I and like a, bass, a drum. Drums and a vocalist. I don't care for maybe that. A, maybe a keyboardist. Maybe. I like it when the people, what's the stringed instrument with all the strings? Sitar. That's the one I like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying about music you like? Well, yeah, in Star Wars. Was it Radiohead? Yeah, in any good Radiohead song. Mm. What I, I enjoy when it feels like a song like kind of takes you on a journey. It takes you from point A to point B, and it doesn't really stop and turn around and look at what's behind. It just keeps moving forward. And when you have 
I really love Attack of the Clones for that, like you said, where it is like it's you from beginning to end. You don't end up in the in the same place twice. You do it. It just keeps chugging along, and that's that's really cool. People seem to find this one boring, but this to me, I, I agree with you, is one of the more fast paced of uh, certainly the prequels. But I think of all the Star Wars movies, this one moves a lot. And one of the criticisms I, I had was taking notes when I watched the movie um, on like last time. Uh, which is why this one's so much better, uh, this <laughs> episode. So people complain about the politics in these movies. This one in particular starts off kind of with a bunch of people sitting in poop chairs. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably that's what they're doing, is they're sitting in a chair and they're taking a dump. If they're lucky. <laughs> if they're unlucky, they're, I mean, I, who knows what's happening beneath that chair. Yeah. But there's, you know, it's a lot of people, it's a lot of old people sitting around talking about politics. And that's a, fair complaint but what i like in this movie i i don't think that because people say you know star wars is for kids why is there all this politics the way that this this uh padme night scene is kind of composed this is where they're ostensibly guarding her outside of her door anakin has decided to use her as bait she's really decided it and he's gone along with it um they're having this conversation about politics which would potentially be boring especially in a kid's movie but the action is all in Padme's room. There's, you know, this droid that Zam has sent is putting these disgusting, which there's no creature in any movie or on Earth or in any universe more disgusting than a centipede. Yeah, they're they're the worst. Can we agree on this? They're the worst. They make me want to throw up. Like, every time I watch this scene, in real life I hate centipedes. So like a space centipede freaks me out. There's only one thing in this movie that disturbs me more than the centipedes, and we'll get to it later. Okay. Wait for it. I can't. Wait for it. I'm so excited to get to this. Um, but like the, the all the action is happening with R two and Padme and these bugs, and then you hear from like outside the door this argument happening. And I think that's a cool thing that they do is George Lucas is slipping in a lot of politics, but it's happening in this background that like kids aren't gonna pick up on that. Kids are gonna enjoy the cool stuff happening with bugs and robots. They're not gonna be focusing on. I know for me when I was a kid, I didn't pay attention to that stuff and didn't oh, even notice it. Talked about in episode one. Like, for, yeah, me watching it growing up, which, once again, I feel like we're a good enough sample size of children watching these movies, which we know other children. We're a really watching. varied sample size of people within, like, two years of age of each other. <laughs> yes. Yes, thank you. And the the thing is, like, it's, the politics never bored me because I never really picked up on that dialogue anyway, but visually, the Senate chamber, and visually... Anytime you're talking about politics, there's usually something shiny going on that is really cool to look at. <laughs> right. Like, it, it, that's like the uh, mom dangling the keys. Like, George exactly. Lucas is like, hey, kids, I know they're talking about politics, but here's Yoda. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah. That's, that was me as a kid. I was like, oh, Yoda's in this scene. Um, this Coruscant chase happens, and it's really cool. The only thing I really had to say about any of this stuff on Coruscant before we get into the meat of the movie is that this. There's this a ground chase that happens after Zam's ship crashes, and that was a set that they built. Just to get in the CGI thing, they built this kind of like alleyway of Cor Coruscant, and they built this uh, bar they go into as well. And this bar, I do want to talk about, because I think it's awesome. I think it's an underrated Star Wars place. Before we go into the bar, okay. I want to mention oh. something that Obi-Wan says to Anakin. Ah, uh, yes. Because Anakin has dropped his lightsaber in the in the middle of the chase. And I this is just a little teaser for someday when we talk about the Jedi more with the Force. Oh, yeah. Obi-Wan's line of, you know, he's 
chastising Anakin about he dropped a weapon again, blah, blah, blah. This weapon is your life. I think that's an interesting note about the Jedi, and I think that's a big flaw in the Jedi philosophy, that that lightsaber holds so much importance to them. Yeah, this movie, I had a big, like, all-caps note that, like, the Jedi are so blind in this movie. And this is, you know, you get an ominous, kind of weird, culty sense about the Jedi Order in the Mm -hmm. Pentominus. And then in this Attic of the Clones, you get more of that. And it starts Mm -hmm. to kind of solidify the fact that, yeah, they're not on the right track these jedi they're, yeah, they're not is... in tune i mean at, at one point they officially come out and say i think it's in this movie yeah that or... our ability to use it force is diminished like should we tell somebody and they don't <laughs> and yeah they don't tell anyone i mean yoda had a good point that then their enemies would grow but it's all questionable mm-hmm. it's all this whole movie is a trap or in the whole trilogy is a tragedy of the jedi and i there's yeah. a lot of little things like that riley where there's a little lines of dialogue that kind of point to that larger yeah issue. Like, that's a good point what you were saying about that that line that's a really interesting line too because it may be winking at real life once again did george intend this or not where the expression you live by the sword you die by the sword where obi-wan tells anakin this weapon is your life mm. like your life is the sword <laughs> right yeah and yeah and, and you say it's a tragedy of the jedi oh hot take I think it's okay they're gone. And I think it's okay that they all died. Are you trying to say it's time for the Jedi to end, <laughs> Riley? <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say about the Jedi. That Anyway, hey. that's my hot take. I'm I'm not sad about the Jedi Order being Listeners, gone. when you listen to this podcast, think about listening to it in a meat locker somewhere because there's some hot takes yeah. coming at you. You're going to want to yeah. cool off while you're listening, kind of preemptively. Um, here's a hot take. While we're in the hot take, hot box. Hot zone. While we're in the hot zone. There's a... We're going to think of a better name for that at some point. Veritable Dutch oven of takes. <laughs> nope, I like hot zone more. <laughs> I like Dutch oven of takes. <laughs> Welcome to Dutch oven of takes. And um, so in the last, that was, I think, Isaac giving a verbal thumbs down to that uh, <laughs> bit name that he came up with. So in the last podcast, I talked at length about, I didn't like Natalie Portman's performance in The Phantom Menace. I like her in this movie, and that's weird to say because I'm not going to reveal how I feel about her in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> in this movie, I like her a lot because, like I said in the last episode, I wanted or more expected, perhaps, that Padme would be like Leia. I mean, she's Leia's mom, and I think that the script itself had a lot of that spunkiness to it that she wasn't necessarily delivering in her performance in The Phantom Menace. In this movie, I think Padme is awesome. She is really – like she's always taking charge. Which is ironic because she's in not a high of a governmental position, but she, like, takes charge more in this movie. Like, she's always telling Anakin what to do. And anytime he tells her what to do, she's like, no, I'm going to do something else. And she's she's cool. She seems like Leia's mother in this movie. And I think that she kind of finally grew into the character in this one. I just wanted to throw out some more positive curveballs at our audience's oven mitts, which they're catching the hot takes with. That's good. Because I'm mostly... <laughs> just going to stay positive about Star Wars and hurl insults at people who disagree with me. So that's what I'm trying to... <laughs> so far, very My successful. negativity is directed at the listeners themselves. And at me, honestly. I mean, <laughs> I feel attacked. Riley, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, there's a lot of fun stuff in this movie. Like, we, we'll, we'll just brush past it, but, like, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan's, like, banter during this whole ship chase just feels like... Lawrence Kasdan. Like, it feels more like your classic Star Wars back and forth that I really like. 
I have a logic gap, and because I love this movie, most of my notes are like nitpicks because that I've picked up on during this chase, which is great. At some point, they fly through a video game world where there's fire and electricity everywhere, and he's like, "How many times did I tell you?" And then he flies into lightning, basically. Stay away from power couplings. Why did he fly? He could have flown over like an inch, and he would have been over the power couplings. I don't. And all there's these no Star good Wars answer. Movie, yeah, there's no good answer. In all answer. these Star Wars movies, there's, there's things a, like that. There's yeah. a moment where, like, especially the space battle, because like space is infinite. It's like we'll just go a different way. They're like, no, we must go this way. It's like, why? Rogue One's the only movie to get this right, where there was a force field around the entire planet yeah. except for one entry point. I thought that was a brilliant sense, plot yeah. device because it finally made sense that they couldn't just like, well, we'll just fly in a different way. Not we'll fly in through the forest, which is directly in front of all the bad guys. You know, like yeah. That is a weird nitpick. Every time I watch it, I'm like, he even tells him before they fly through. He says, how many times do I have to tell you? And then he flies through it. The, the, guys, this movie's not good. I hate it. Um, we should talk about um, Obi-Wan goes on his little detective adventure to figure out who killed um, Zam. Because that person is presumably the person that tried to kill Padme and behind all these attacks. Um, what we should talk about first, perhaps is that Count Dooku is mentioned earlier. Mm. And Mace Windu, I think it's Padme that brings it up. And Mace Windu's like, <laughs> you're an idiot. It's not his character. He's my best friend. He's a Jedi. A Jedi would never be able to do something like that. Right. Yeah. That is the point where I wrote Jedi, <laughs> hashtag Jedi so blind. Yeah. Um, Count Dooku. Can we talk about him for a minute? Can I yes. talk about my Count Dooku theory? This goes along with Ooh. Obi-Wan's investigation. I don't know this theory. I think that he and a little character named Jocasta New. Oh, that's, that's, that's I do remember this now. They're having a little. They're having a little thing, a little fling. A summer you might fling. Because in Obi Wan's investigation, someone has erased summer Camino. Some, a little summer loving. I want to say Greece, but little, it opens with Count Dooku. A little winter loving with those and the two. librarian from Attack of the Clones, <laughs> and they're singing the same song. The same exact voices are coming out of them. I just think that's how it got erased. The Camino. I like this theory. Stuff. I think her and I think her and Dooku have a little thing. You think he called her up and was like, "Hey, babe, can you uh, mm-hmm. do me a little flavor?" And yeah. she's like, "Anything from a hunk of man." And yeah. he's like, "Hit the old delete key on yep. that uh, Camino button." Mm-hmm. And she's she like, got, "She got real defensive." Right back at you. She got real defensive. She got so defensive. She almost slapped Obi Wan in the face. Yeah. The first place Obi Wan goes to is a favorite of mine. He goes to Dex's diner. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is. A place worth talking about because this place has kind of become a meme and this character has become a meme. I liked him before that it was cool, guys. Oh. He's like legitimately. Oh boy. As far as little like Star Wars cameo characters who are in like one movie, like Greedo, you know, like the, he, Dex is one of my favorites. I just think this is a cool. I want to shake all of six of his hands. I, I want to give him. Oh, there were four. He only has four, yeah. There are four hands. I, but he has two feet. Are you going to shake Our his feet? feet? hands? Yes. His feet. I use mine like hands. Let me shake your hand right now. I kicked him in the face. So, I I love this character. I remember last week, Riley, your wife was saying that she f- felt like this place felt too much like a 50s diner. Like, it felt like, yeah. not like a space 50s diner. No, it's just a 50s diner. Is that how you feel as well? Yeah, I mean, it just looks like a 50s diner. Yeah. What about you, Isaac? Do you like this place? In this little yeah, like a, it's, it's fine for me because Coruscant is such a big place. There's got to be an overlap somewhere to where, like, there's... You know, like there's there's like a exact like clone of you somewhere on Earth who looks exactly like you, who sounds like you. Brad Pitt. 
Yeah. And yeah. there has to be a 50s diner on Coruscant in that vast city. And I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> because that would insinuate that on Coruscant, there's this house there. <laughs> and there's the three of us recording a podcast. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's infinite. There has to be an exact replica of something on Earth. I don't know if I agree with that. And that's where it fell apart. No, no, no. I <laughs> I agree with you. It, but the thing that I like about it is that it does feel so real to life that it circles back around to being Star Wars weird and not just weird. Like, and that's like also like people like there's also robots there. People putting rules into Star Wars where like can't we just have a good time, guys? Yeah, that's the fact that it was just so blatantly a '50s diner is part of the fun to me. Like they're not even trying to hide it. Like the music just sounds like '50s diner and yeah. like. The old like New Yorker waitress. Someone here to see you, honey. Like I, I, it's fun to me. It's a good time, and if you don't like it, then you're not my. You can hit. You can hit unsubscribe. I feel real fans like. I feel real bullied for my opinions on this show. You You know what? I feel bad. I hope that listeners know that when we talk about real fans, (laughs) that we are kidding, and that kind of person is annoying. There's no real fans of Star Wars. I, for one know nothing about the expanded universe even oh, the current I one can't wait to talk and about that it. we're going to talk about that later we're going to have some bonus episodes i really I... want to give whatever nine listeners that we will end up having for this episode credit that they will understand the difference between real us and then the we were talking about this beforehand where as we're podcasting i especially for myself am realizing that i have a silly voice and i have a serious voice <laughs> and the difference is stark I realized that I mumble worse than any person in the world and that I thought that I was good at talking and I realized that I'm actually very bad at it. I realized that I'm just a burning trash pile of garbage. <laughs> Why we are we also po- realize that that's so funny? <laughs> Why are we podcasting, guys? None of us are good at it. None of us uh, like it. It's not insightful, it's not funny, but please like and subscribe and uh, come on the show. Um let's move on past Dex designer unless Dex's you want to talk about it more. You want to talk no, no, no. about Dex? Okay. No, no, no. Let's, we are still let's... firmly in Act 1 of this no, movie. No, no, no. We're going to yeah, jump yeah. ahead. So let's jump ahead to um, this. We can talk about it briefly. We talked about the romance. Do we need to talk any more about the romance? Well, I I remember um, what I had to say about the romance is just like basically my – I don't think I gave my official take on it, which I know you're all clamoring let's for. Let's get out your stamps so that when you're taking your notes at home, you can put your official Isaac take on it. Yes. So this is maybe a little bit shorter than my original Attack of the Clones on VHS story. But not by much, guys, so buckle up. The th- I'm personally fine with the love story in Attack of the Clones. It's what he wanted in the first place. Like it, he, he made the choice to do this, and this kind of goes to the fact that it's in Disney's hands now. Disney probably would have had someone run this by them first, but back when it was Lucas running the show, like he got to make this choice, and it was ultimately his decision that the love story was going to be this way. So the choices were deliberate, and... It's become kind of like the whole like Jar Jar thing. It's become like a pop culture shorthand for you say the prequels and you're like, ha Jar Jar, right? The love story, right? Right. And midichlorians, right? It's just like these little buzz phrases that people buzz bring droids. up. Buzz droids. <laughs> this is why I hate flying. By the way, can I just side thing? We didn't talk about midichlorians at all, I don't think. No, nah, I, I really wanna... want to. Do you want to? Do you want to I don't want to. We don't need to talk about it now. Let's talk about it in the fourth episode. That, yeah. I just want listeners to know that we didn't, like, forget about it. We're going to talk about it on a future episode where we talk about I honestly force. forgot about them. <laughs> I actually did, too. I wanted to sound, like, smart, but yes. I did forget to talk about them. That should show ooh, you our opinion midichlorians. Oh we don't care that Studio much. Studio be rocking. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I interrupted you, but... No, no, you're good. It just um, kind of popped in my head. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. We never talked about it. Just for the record, I love midichlorians because I love everything George Lucas does. They're your best friend. <laughs> yes. They're my only friend, really. 
more or less the what my opinion on the love story comes down to is a lot of the love stories in movies, in literature, and stuff like that. If it's not a tragic love story, and even if it is a tragic love story, they they're in love when they die, and they're flawed characters, maybe like in a Romeo and Juliet, to where like they end up committing suicide, but. In Star Wars, we know that Anakin slash Darth Vader lives beyond this love story. And so if we were to be given a perfect dynamic between these two people, if they were kind of like bouncing off each other, like it was some like indie comedy where they're like, they're, they're cool and they're going to the record store together and they're, they have a secret handshake. <laughs> of course, on the 50s record store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if that were the case, I feel like that might even be less believable. What? Consider... Yes, I don't because like this well, the you get Anakin is a flawed human being. We see by the things he tells Padme, where he favors a dictatorship. He has control issues. Oh, I see. Okay, he has okay. anger issues. He has. He is not You're someone saying he's not going to be like Ryan Gosling. No, he's not <laughs> I, okay, someone okay. that you would want to hitch your wagon to. He's a 19-year-old boy who doesn't know how to handle his emotions. He's a goober, and the fact that a 24-year-old woman falls for him kind of speaks to her character as well so these are two emotionally unstable people and if they were to have a perfect dynamic i feel like that would kind of betray who they were as characters and where they ended up by the end of this i think my issue with their romance is that it's an issue with romance in pretty much all media and that it it in and it's in even it's newspapers be, even newspapers <laughs> i hate romantic newspapers but it, it's because of a, a time factor you, you only have a Hop couple in. hours. Wait, that 40s guy was back. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there he goes. Stay out of here, 40s guy. Come, come on the show. Okay. He's gallivanting away Sorry. with his umbrella and suitcase. <laughs> Riley, you were saying something eloquent. <laughs> no, not really. But um, a, a lot of romances like this have to be told in two hours, and you just can't do it. And really, it's less than that because you have other things going on. You, It's not enough time to tell a believable love story. So I don't think this love story is very believable, but I don't think a lot of love stories are very believable. I don't like that defense because I feel like that's a that's – a, and I'm a lover of this movie. And to me, it's crazy to me that they didn't test people for chemistry. Mm. Like I can understand them picking – Hayden Christensen for Anakin because I think he falls in line with George Lucas's vision of him as you know like Hayden Christensen's performance is a little awkward and a little emotionally unstable but that is Anakin and that is a teenage boy and it makes sense but to me there needs to be chemistry for a romance to work and there can be an unhealthy romance with a lot of chemistry to it it has to make sense in some way other than they're just both hot i guess that's not true because there's plenty of people there's <laughs> that plenty happens of people a lot. in real life you're just like they're just attractive and then that i think is kind of it but i think it would make the characters better if if they would have cats for chemistry as opposed to just like yeah this guy can nail this dynamic but to me star wars is my favorite movie franchise darth vader is the greatest movie villain of all time perhaps Certainly the most iconic. So the love story between him and Padme should be the greatest romance ever, in my opinion. It should not be a second thought. It shouldn't be something to be like, nah, it's cheesy. It's from the 40s. It should be a thing that should break your heart. And it, I don't know that it does. I don't think that it... Like, for me, in a, in a romance in a film... And I agree with Riley that not a lot of movies do it right. I think it's mm. telling that most... When you think of, like, most couples like Sam and Diane and Jim and Pam they're all from TV because they have time they have more time yeah 
That's how but, it happens. You know, I, I, all I'm saying is I don't want to defend it because even as a big fan of this movie, that's something that doesn't work for the most part. I think there's moments between them that are cute and work, but think, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to defend it too much. I think a way you maybe could have fixed it is it's it's maybe a cop out, but don't have them not see each other for 10 years if they had kept up a relationship for 10 years while they're both growing up that would have been good it, at least then you know well they've had time to develop this but instead we go from hi they see each other again 10 years later and suddenly they're back in they're, they're in love now i have a hot take guys get your oven mitts on as much as i dislike fan edits i think and i'm fine with the flawed movie that we have isaac's getting really bored i don't know he just died there's film, time stri- film strip coming out of my mouth right now. Right. So, anyway, I respect the movie that George made. I wouldn't change it. But if Doesn't sound like it. I did, <laughs> wouldn't change it. But when I do, um, no, you could have made their relationship as soon as they get to Naboo, a montage set to Across the Stars. That song and the way all those scenes are shot with them tells the story. That song is their romance. It's somber and sweeping and, like, sorrowful, but hopeful at the same time, you don't even need dialogue. That's the thing that I don't understand. If I was George Lucas, I'd be like, I'm not good at writing dialogue, but I have the most amazing composer who ever lived. I'll just have him do the romance for me. Mm-hmm. I think when it, that's, it's a movie where if you cut out their stuff, it would work a lot better. That's that's, that's my hot take, mm-hmm. guys. And here's kind of my final take, which is going to sound like it's straddling the fence, which it kind of is, but... I still, I can reconcile that love story because in real life, in anywhere, you see relationships that just don't make sense. And you have people on the outside of relationships that are crying out to the people in the relationships, you need to get out of this. This is unhealthy. Yeah. He's abusive. She's abusive. It's just not going to work. And Anakin and Padme are in that, but we're... She's not abusive. Well, he kind of is. He well, he no, is. he definitely is. You said yeah. he's abusive. She's abusive. I'm saying like this in real life. In real happens. life, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but so yeah, you 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 see it not working, but they continue with it anyway. And you're like, this is this is not going to end well. This is not going to end well. Right. And you keep telling them that, and sometimes they'll get out of it before it doesn't end well. But then sometimes something really bad happens, like unfortunately, and it shouldn't. They shouldn't have been together. And this is a tragic love story, which. Here is where I kind of straddle the fence. That's my defense of it. But going back to it, yeah, yeah. But but the the thing that's kind of a large that's kind of mental gymnastics that George Lucas is asking the audience to play with him if that was his intent in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I can see, like for me, I've played those mental gymnastics, but I'm not expecting the person who watches this movie once and then goes about their lives to say like. To go through this 15-minute, like, reconciliation in their head of the love story. (laughs) I like that. That makes sense. So we need to start moving along here. Um, Can we talk about one of my favorite... I I feel like I've said this about every Star Wars place we've (laughs) talked about, which, hey, guys, I like this movie. Camino. Camino, yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Why they put that no at the end? I say, Camino, two thumbs up. It is a cool planet. Riley, you're about to say something. Avid listeners will remember. <laughs> I don't know if we have any of those. <laughs> we have rabid back listeners. When I said that, uh, back when I said that centipedes were my second least favorite thing in this movie. Sure. Because they disturbed me. Yeah. I hate 
the ocean and a planet that is all ocean <laughs> terrifies me. I don't. Why do you hate the ocean so much? It's scary. It's terrifying. Did you see that like weird whale thing that washed up oh, on the yeah. beach in Indonesia? What the heck was that? No, I saw the kryptonite uh, right. wash up in Indonesia somewhere off the coast of the Indian Ocean. Batman v Superman. Well, this is very different because this is like a weird sea creature. I'm just saying we don't know what's in the ocean. It terrifies me. I hate swimming in it. But I still like Camino. It's weird that we record this in your pool. Yeah, I know. I think that you like it. Also, a because bit. of the electricity. We've been electrocuted so many times now, guys. Yeah, we've I had am to a, take a lot of breaks. I'm a big old person, chicken nugget. Yeah, I mean, my entire body is scarred and horrified. It's like what happens in episode three. Yeah. Camino is another example of a planet that George Lucas is able to, in a couple shots, you understand what this place is. Uh, you know what we didn't talk about? Is, is how they establish Camino, which is really cool with Obi-Wan. He, he goes and talks to Count Olaf's girlfriend. I'm sorry, <laughs> Count Dooku. Um, and uh, she tells him it doesn't exist. There's this spot that's missing in the memory, which is, did we establish, did they delete it from, O'Reilly is showing, <laughs> showing me pictures <laughs> Of this washed up whale, I didn't know what you were talking about. I don't know if it's a whale or not. They don't. Yeah, know they what don't know it what is. it is. Like I saw pictures of it. It does not look like anything. It doesn't look like a whale. No signs. Welcomed visual content for the podcast. Um, we'll put it in the show notes, guys. Oh, so yeah. anyway, we won't because we don't have to do that. But we... <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, this place is established as mysterious and off the grid. Did we establish like when this place was deleted from the archive network? Was it deleted from, like, the map that the entire world has or just that the Jedi have? Is that, like, the whole Jedi um, egomaniac thing where they think that their archives are the archives? Yeah. Oh, I maybe would, that's the thing. I, I think that I'm sure if he had just gone to, like, a normal library, he could have found Kamino. Like, but, like, right. why would you do that? Because if you're the, part of the Jedi Order. You're I'm great. at the library. If, the pres if, like, President Britannica of the Encyclopedia Britannica... <laughs> were to like James hey please do you remember John. about president millard fillmore and if like <laughs> no one does <laughs> well and encyclopedia britannica somehow he's been erasing the records because one of fillmore's enemies was like in cahoots with the world book and the during that britannica <laughs> world book is this true history conflict i the name millard fillmore is really making me laugh for some reason <laughs> it's hard to explain why it does sound like a Star Wars name. <laughs> it's like a weird Star Wars, like a junior hey. in Star Wars is Millard Fillmore. So basically you're saying that the Jedi, that is like the record to them. They don't bother going to like, hey, let's oh. check an external source that they tell you to do in high school. If you're school. from the Encyclopedia Britannica, why would you check the world book? You're saying they like That'd made be that map? They made the map. Oh. We didn't mention how this, a nice little moment that I like a lot. Mm -hmm. It has one of my favorite lines in Star Wars, which is, and the unfortunate thing is that all these child actors are not good because they are children. But this little <laughs> moment where Obi-Wan goes in to see Yoda for some guidance. And why Riley is giving me the most disdainful look he's ever given anyone in his whole life. I don't know what Including you're about to say. Like, hey! Oh, that guy what, again. I don't know what you're about to say. <laughs> he just left again. He's kind of more modern this time. So he goes to Yoda and... Even though it's a very obvious problem, perhaps even to the audience, that somebody deleted this thing. Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan's not able to see it. The Jedi are, are blind, but a child figures it out. Yeah, and and Obi-Wan says, truly wonderful the mind of a child is. I like that line. So anyway, Kamino's a cool place. This place is just aesthetically awesome. It reminds me a lot of Minority Report, just the general aesthetic of this place. I have a question about this mm -hmm. from a mythological standpoint. Okay. 
Lamasu, I think, is the male uh, Kaminoian. Is that how you say their I think name? it's just Kaminoin, right? Kaminoin. Okay, Kaminoin. I'm adding a lot of extra syllables. Mm-hmm. He says, and I must say, one of the finest we have ever created. Like, one of the finest clone armies they've ever created. Mm. Are there a bunch of clone armies throughout the galaxy running around? See, listeners don't write in because I don't actually want to know, but I want to talk about it with my friends on the podcast. Well, my guess is that there's a lot of history in Star Wars that we're not told. You're saying Star Wars doesn't start with Episode One? No, what? I don't think I don't think it does. I mean, it, 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 what? It didn't. It didn't used to, at least. And now none of that is canon anymore. But I would guess mm. that it was just one of those throwaway lines that you're referencing. Oh yes, this has probably happened in the history, the ten thousand years of That's history. That's the impression I got. George Republic Lucas is has. into history repeating itself. That mm-hmm. makes sense, guys. We're almost like we're history is cloning itself. Whoa! <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about. We lost our listener. I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> we literally had a listener in with the that, room who just walked out with after that, that joke. He left. <laughs> if it, you could even call it a joke. I cannot wait to talk about history repeating itself. He's almost climbing on the table. He started almost standing I up so on his chair. History is like repeating itself. Andy Circus in a motion cap costume, just gallivanting all over the place, talking on either side of his mic. This is going to be my Kotor two episodes main focus of oh, history repeating brother. itself, and oh. I am so excited. I can't wait to keep creating scheduling conflicts. Kotor and never two. get to talk about Kotor two. Which, by the way, we've never established, in case you're not, like, a video game fan, is Knights of the Old Republic 2. It bothers me when people just use yeah. video game acronyms as if everybody knows what they are. Sure, sorry. But we do, because we're yeah. real fans. But, okay. We meet here. This is an important thing for me. People like Boba Fett a lot, and that's fine, because he has a cool suit, and presumably there's some good books or something about him. Jango Fett is a cooler guy. Well, you see him do more. You see him actually be competent. He shoots fire out of his firearm, mm-hmm. shooty gun machine. He's got a grappling hooks. Part of the main appeal for Star Wars for me is not the Jedi or the Sith or the Force. That's what makes Star Wars Star Wars, and I like it, of course. But I love the quote-unquote normal people of the Star Wars universe. Just some guy that is so skilled and talented that he can go toe-to-toe with a, a Jedi and kick his butt. Yeah. You want, like, a Gotham PD-type comic series yeah. where just following, like, the police oh, department? I would be all over that. That's a real comic series that yeah. I've heard is good. I'd be uh, all over it. Yeah. I think that that is, like, if you're going to do a standalone Star Wars movie, <clears throat> that seems like a goldmine, right? Like, you yeah. can... Because people are already invested in these bounty hunters. Like, people love Boba Fett. You don't need to do a Boba Fett origin because this is that. Yeah, we've Attack seen of the it. Clones is yeah, that. we've seen it. And they do a lot of his childhood in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And then just cut to bounty hunters kind of like competing to like get a job done or yeah. like just broing out, like playing cards. Broing out. Mm-hmm. In a pool. Like we're at Like right we're, now. we're we are inside of a pool. Yeah. We're underwater. Inside. <laughs> <laughs> we're inside of an indoor pool. So. <laughs> Outside. This fight between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett is awesome. Yeah. There's a fist fight element to it. Eventually, you know, like his jetpack gets whacked out and Obi-Wan loses his lightsaber and they're just beating each other up. Is this the only fist fight that we see in Star Wars? I can't think of another one. Right off the top of my head. Hmm. Where like the Jedi is just punching dudes instead of using a lightsaber. Yeah, I guess I can't think of any other I can't fist fights. Think of a good Which is surprising with Harrison Ford being in three movies, four movies. This scene, if you watch the director's commentary, they like George Lucas is like, This is all just Indiana Jones. He's like, This is stuff I've wanted to do in Star Wars, yeah. kind of an Indiana Jones more gritty fight. And this whole 
it also has this moment where Django Fett, like in Batman Begins, uses his arm grindies to stop himself from falling. It's like the same shot-for-shot thing that happens in Batman Begins. I know uh, Christopher Nolan is a Star Wars fan. I wonder if that's a direct callback. I'd hope so. Probably. What if Christopher Nolan is like the world's biggest Attack of the Clones fan, <laughs> but he like can't say anything because the internet would yell at him? What if Christopher Nolan directed Came on the episode nine? That would be, guys. Then he'd make it real life, and then it'd be weird. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't think he would. He directed Interstellar, which is planets such as water all the time. We, that was crazy. We can talk about Christopher Nolan later. Have I mentioned how much I hate the ocean? You yeah no we talk about how much you hate Colin Trevorrow because <laughs> uh, Riley's got a real beef with him. I, did like Colin Trevorrow like beat up your mom when please, you were a kid or something? Please don't come on the show, Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevorrow, he won't be here. Me and Isaac will have a civil conversation with you and talk mm-hmm. about your work and why we enjoy it. That's Do it. you? Nah, that's not really true. But we'll talk <laughs> anyway. After Camino, what happens in this movie? Probably it ends, right? Nothing else. No, yeah. Credits roll in Attic of the Clones. Attic of the Clones actually the uh, Camino scene. Was it was it was an ocean, but it, it was more of a more of a beach scene. They kind of combined the the, the Naboo elements and the Camino elements, so like they, they just kind of combined the, the those two stories right there. Was there people playing surf rock in the background? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Padme was the drummer. Anakin was the guitar player. And then during the solo, like Anakin's just like going up, like he's up on like the twentieth fret, just like. I love the idea of Padme on drums. Yeah, and he just like kicks his like little Jedi boot up onto the uh, the uh, the bass drum on I top of it. I wish beyond anything, leans over. The listeners could see Isaac enacting she all of this. She is, is riding that nice. cymbal, and he just leans in for a kiss. And during the guitar solo, it's like. <laughs> and movie, credits. We, why aren't we just talking about that movie? Well, the because it sounds way cooler than I lost my only copy oh, in the first no. fire. <laughs> more mythology to uncover from Isaac's <laughs> troubled past stay tuned um, so you know what happens I, I actually forgot <laughs> I was actually asking for help and I did not get it Shmi gets captured he gets a bad dream yeah, he has I a bad dream forgot about this okay. yeah. we need to I go know through that this you, quick you don't like this thing that happens no I purely from the fact that I think it's a poor way to treat Shmi Skywalker it is literally I that I like the way that she is treated in all of these movies, I'm not. Ta- I, see, I'm not even You're talking, talking about, as a character. Yeah, I'm not talking about in universe. Right, yeah, right, she right. is obviously in universe. In universe, bad things. In utero. In utero, bad things have happened to Nirvana. But no, I I just don't like that. I, I don't like the way the script treats her. I think there's ways to get Anakin to the dark side and to do bad things without treating this woman character. The way she's treated in these two movies. You're saying that she's like purely like a punching bag catalyst for Anakin's action, almost like she's yeah, just, she she's, only exists to motivate him. Right. She's, she doesn't have her own character. character. You know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. To me, what what works about this, but you know, it is it's not character based. So I think your criticism is valid. But what I like about this choice to have him come back to Tatooine, to come back home, and find his mother dead. First of all. To me, I find the fact that she hung on for so long really like strengthening because she's been there for a month. She seems like she should, for all intents and purposes, be dead. She's dead, mm-hmm. son. But she's yeah, accepted. <sighs> yeah, she's strong-willed, and that's what you you do get that sense just from. I can't think of the actress's name, but her performance. Pranilla August. Yeah, Pranilla. So, <laughs> what's good about this moment for me is Anakin. This whole trilogy is about him starting to question the Jedi Order. 
that's particularly what the, the Clone Wars, you know, establishes a lot of that too. In this moment, this whole like love story is causing him to question the Jedi Order. Like, is why can't I love someone? That doesn't seem right to me. And Padme is questioning him, and he's kind of trying to defend it. And you can see him struggling. He decides to go against the Jedi Order and go back home. And what he finds is that in his absence, his, his mother has had this horrible life. And now she's dead. And he realizes in this moment when the violins rise and it's like psycho music and he, he gives his best performance and just that look on his face that if he wouldn't have joined the Jedi Order, this wouldn't have happened. Like he could have saved her by not joining them, I think. I think it's important that he has this moment not of just he freaks out and kills people, which is very bad. But this is a key moment in him. Like, if I wouldn't have made this choice in my life, my mom might still be alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I get where you get what you're saying. It doesn't defend what you're saying, though. Yeah, no, and and I'm not. I'm kind of on Anakin's side and all that. I think the Jedi Order handled that whole situation very poorly, and they handle right. a lot of things poorly. But I just wish he didn't have to come at the service of just this this character being there for nothing other than motivating this guy and i yeah I, I just think i'm sure there's a better way to do it i don't have it i don't know what it is but if you're making this movie i think there's i think it's worth exploring a better way to have him question the jedi order now mm, i'm trying to think was there not a clone wars episode where she appeared to him as a ghost or was that was it did happen but it was a trick right that. somebody yeah did. that was a did she was that it was, was that an apparition created in, by something? It was yeah. Was it wasn't in, Mortis? It wasn't Mortis. What was it? I don't Maybe remember. I don't remember her being on Maybe. Clone Wars. She yeah, totally she was. was. <laughs> it, it, yeah, but it wasn't her though. It was like something right. else. Like Here's the, someone was messing with him. Yeah. The reason why I say that is because it's almost like Obi Wan would have been that. Like if he would have just died, and the only reason why his character existed was to kind of impart some wisdom and then die and mm-hmm. spurn the character, that would have been a bummer. But he lived on as a ghosts or yeah. whatever and was able to impart yeah. wisdom and he was in all the other movies and now in the, in the prequel series he's, his character is expanded upon further mm-hmm. I agree that it would have been neat if there was a way for her to have existed beyond this happening yeah I think Which, that's a valid criticism that I hadn't thought about now maybe, the movie's yeah. bad don't watch <laughs> I can only <laughs> I can only think of her existing really in the form of Anakin's fear of losing Padme because Anakin wouldn't have been half as afraid of losing Padme if he didn't already lose his mother, and if he hadn't have blamed himself for losing his mother. If he hadn't had that dream, and then the same thing happens with Padme. And yeah. yeah, so it's like she yeah. lives on in a... Because, I mean, Obi-Wan lived on in a different way. He wasn't in his physical form, so, I mean, that's kind of stretching it. But, yeah, I, I, didn't, I hadn't really thought of it that way before. And also, there, there's only so much room in a movie to put stuff in, and you got two, you got six total hours to tell the entire story of the prequels, so something's got to go. That scene gives me chills every time, though. That's an emotional moment that hits home every time. Oh, yeah, musically, that is... Uh, one of the peaks of the... Yes. One yes, of the twin yes. peaks of, of the series. So this entire like last act, though, is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Um, the uh, You get a lot of fun stuff. Obi-Wan sends out a distress signal. We didn't talk about my favorite character in the movie, which is the uh, leader of the Techno Union Army. <laughs> <laughs> Toothhead. The resources of the techno are at your disposal, Cal. That is one of my favorite creature designs ever. That's the craziest, <laughs> most like insane imaginable thing. Like he controls his voice with like a knob on his chest. He uh the I love that. I remember like the visual guide explanation to him is on his native planet they breathe methane gas. 
And so he had to have like a, a breathe apparatus so in order to. So the creatures on their home planet hadn't gotten to a point where they could tolerate their own atmosphere. No, they had to breathe poop. This Star Wars is unrealistic. That's what, that's what the Keldor are, Plo Koon's species. They they also can't oh, breathe oxygen. Yeah, also they have this little. I was gonna yeah. say in the uh, the Rogue One visual guide, I guess like the Keldor and I think the Wat Tambor guys, and then uh, the whatever two tubes was in Rogue One. They're oh, all kind of like yeah. ancestors. I don't know these new alien species a lot. Everyone overhears this conversation with all these crazy aliens, sends out a distress signal, and this is my favorite moment from Padme in the movie. But well, it's up there, where she is like, "I'm gonna go save Obi Wan," and is like, "We're not supposed to. My mom died, and I'm all sad." And <laughs> Padme's like, "Shut up about your stupid mom already. I'm gonna go be a cool person and save Obi Wan." That's line for line what happens. I didn't mm-hmm. mean to recite the script like that. So. Were you watching Attic of the Clones with me? That? <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, no. Right before this, they had just gotten done doing like a song and dance number where Obi-Wan was playing the bongos. So, Geonosis. Yeah. This whole back half, one of the best like closing parts of a movie. We got to talk about this conveyor belt scene because people don't like it. I, I do. We already talked about it. We, we talked about it with about the CGI. It. We talked about it already. We didn't really talk. Okay. We talked about it enough. We talked about it from like a movie maker. Oh, that's right. But not really as a film. In real world time, listeners, this was like five hours ago. I don't this <laughs> because we paused for a while and ate, we ate cheeseburgers. Burgers. So, besides that, you got this fun little thing of R2 and C3PO finally coming into the action. I like that R2 pushes C3PO off the edge because they're not friends yet. He's just like, what idiot, get out of my way. I got to save my friends. I like that. I like the head swap thing. The puns are a bit much. But the head swap thing is fun for me. Riley? I've reached my quota of negativity for this podcast, so oh, I'm not no. going to talk about this. We didn't make this. the final tally on yeah. this little board there. I've, I've gone too far. All right. So I don't think – back into this movie turning into different movies, how it's kind of like a detective noir story. It's an old Hollywood romance. It then turns into a gladiator movie out of nowhere. They just roll into this place, and there's just there's a stadium there. And they're tied to poles. They're going to get mauled by creatures. And am I wrong that there's no music in this scene? This is all just like sound design and like cool creatures for a while. Yeah, after uh, Across the Stars fades out, like you get like right. the, the drum, like the. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah. Can I cycle back for one second? Because I realized I forgot to tell. I know. I'm sorry. Riley's about <laughs> to kill himself. So I didn't talk about something that I do want to talk about because there's a lot of shadows. You thought about, or you mentioned rather, uh, them making out and going through the tunnel into the stadium where they're kind of both cast in shadow. One of the coolest things, one thing that I love about this fireplace scene is Padme's face is half half and half cast in shadow about the entire scene that they're oh. sitting down. And then she stands up and says no and her face is cast in the light because she's by the fireplace. But during the entire time, she's sitting down by the fire and her face is cast in shadow half and half. Anakin's at a crossroads at this point. And the fact that she's cast kind of half in shadow is really interesting. And then, after he gives this plea, he says, defeatedly, I will do whatever you ask. Which is the same thing he says to Palpatine when he finally goes down the dark side crossroad. Mm-hmm. As a neat little bit of foreshadowing yeah. there. There's a lot of uh, silhouettes. There's that, and then there's the scene where they're both cast in shadow before he goes to the Tusken Raider camp in the Duel of the Fates plays. He's cast in shadow against the, like, twin sons and then finally like they're both in the dark when they go through this tunnel mm-hmm. yeah like you were saying like i uh also on the same planet on geonosis my uh, lovely wife 
wanted us to mention this on the podcast. So, oh. wife, if you're listening, we're cool. But <laughs> <laughs> so when when Count Dooku is talking to Obi Wan, the entire time he's talking to Obi Wan, he is in the dark. He is like you like his his face is obstructed by dark. But then his face is cast in light for the one little line where he says the truth, and then he goes back into the dark. That's interesting. I've yeah. not noticed that. I think your wife's a yeah. liar. That- if you're listening. I don't trust you. Well, and we're not cool right now. That makes two of us, but not me. <laughs> okay. If I have two coins and one's not a dime, I don't think that's an expression. <laughs> he, was, he was so confused at his own joke. He looked up and was like, "What did I just say?" I was grasping for help. I was in so the you know it was bad. middle of the ocean, smacking about. Uh, don't talk about that. Yeah, you're really <laughs> middle of the ocean. Of you don't like the ocean? No, I don't. Bruh. I don't like it, bruh. <laughs> this scene is really cool. I think. As we're getting into this finale, there's the you know the moment this whole time where those the three main characters, Obi Wan and Anakin and Padme are fighting these creatures is awesome because none of them can use their lightsabers or guns. They all just have to be crafty. There's not a lot of scenes like that in Star Wars where like Obi Wan just has to figure out a way to like kind of like taunt and deal with this creature. Except there's two in this movie: the Jango Fett fight earlier right. and now this one. Yeah, right. But in this movie, they do all this cool stuff that they don't do in other movies. It's a guys. Star Wars is good. Well, I don't think we've really talked about it. Obi Wan is saying that the lightsaber is your life, and here he's he realizes that it's not. He doesn't realize it, but yeah, he wish he bouncing it. around, not using a lightsaber for nothing. Yeah, exactly. And he like kind of kicks a little weird alien took us in the process. Yeah. So the Jedi show up. There's a lot of criticism about. You know, this moment when all the Jedi show up. Which is all incorrect, because it's the best scene in Star Wars. <laughs> That's a real strong opinion coming out of the gate. Now, Action, at least. Basically, the criticism is that there's too much of, like, just flashy lights happening. I tend to... I, that was Isaac. When the lightsabers come, and it's all just people swinging around, and it's kind of weirdly choreographed, I agree. When it works for me is when the clones come. Mm. Around the survivors, a perimeter create... That's when Yoda's voice gets a little too much, the the backwards talk. But when this clone battle starts happening, and it's just lasers firing from clones and droids, and it's just chaos, I think it's awesome. I think it's just like a war movie. The way it's shot is really interesting. Yeah, like I mentioned, like from this party's over until the end of the movie, like I love this the movie. The party's so actually much. the opposite of over. It's just getting started. This is perhaps the first war that we've seen in Star Wars. I mean, like we've seen battles. This is a battle. But it is shot like a ground war. And mm-hmm. there's not, like, the original trilogy, the only ground war that happens is really, well, you know, I Little take that teddy back. Bears. That's not true. Hoth happens. That's Yeah, that's kind of There's a lot of there. aerial stuff happening. Yeah. But mm-hmm. this is just mostly ground troops shooting at stuff. I'll tell you this, the as much as you can call it cinematography, like the way they shot this <laughs> mostly CGI sequence... Right. Some of the choices they made are just like fantastic. Like they stand out to me so much. When uh, they shoot it, I think they shoot down one of the gunships or one of the uh, the droid command ships. And after they do it, they zoom. They turn around and they zoom back in on the like the clones, like in the like the control thing of that like big like laser gun thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And when they zoom back in, like I had never seen that in Star Wars before. That was a really it made you it, this whole entire thing makes you feel like you're in like a war documentary. The way they're shooting that, and then also, the when the clones are on the ground, 
and you're, it's shot like from waist level behind them. Yeah, it's a really and they're weird shooting. Angle. Yeah, they're shooting at dust. Yeah, that's a cool shot. It's, yeah, that is so. tremendous. I love that. So the final thing that happens—that's not true—but one of the final things that happens is this lightsaber battle. What do you think about this? I think this is maybe the hot take central town coming at you. I think this is maybe the weakest lightsaber battle in the whole series. Is this like Dooku, Anakin, Obi Wan? Now, intentionally, they all get defeated, but I'm not talking about that. I liked once we're going back to sports now, guys. <laughs> I don't know. And that is the final countdown by That's Europe. Sports. <laughs> oh. He's so bad at sports. <laughs> I'm so bad at sports. I don't even know what the songs are. Oh man. <laughs> anyway, I, however, Nick Gillard decided to choreograph this lightsaber duel. I thought he did a really fantastic job of demonstrating that for whatever reason like so, like in sports some teams just aren't great matchups against each other just their their physical makeup the personnel they have there's sometimes good teams that just cannot play well against other good teams the, depending on once again the, the matchup and I feel like you got that with Obi-Wan and Dooku because it's reiterated in Revenge of the Sith but especially in Attack of the Clones the way they're fighting each other you can see that Obi-Wan for whatever reason is just so outmatched against outmatched against Count Dooku. He like doesn't know what to do with his style, basically. No, yeah, he's just like bouncing off of Count Dooku for about 15 seconds until he gets defeated. And he gets I, defeated like immediately. Yeah, like it's... On the surface, it's pretty boring, but when you really like for... When you really look at it, like I, I personally enjoy that part a lot. Yeah. It's not like terrible. It's just I think in the grand scheme of things, because Dooku, he's an interesting character. I think the interesting thing about him is when he goes in and it's kind of telling obi-wan what's happening he tells him that there's a that the sith are controlling everything he's telling the truth he's right and obi-wan doesn't listen so he's a compelling character he's not built up to be like the big bad of the movie even in the way that darth maul was where you're seeing him the whole time you're building up to this moment so you get to the clone wars and count dooku's like weird and evil all of a sudden right <laughs> yeah so the the fight, from a dramatic standpoint, isn't as exciting. But the, the one moment that's cool is Anakin and Dooku fighting, and the entire light is illuminated by their lightsabers. That's some good stuff. Mm. That's the kind of lighting that uh, old Jake over here likes to talk about. So you like the lighting you like is no light at all. <laughs> what is the light? What, you know when the movie ends? Mm -hmm. That's the best part. When there's nothing on the screen, mm -hmm. just a total dark lighting. That's my favorite part. Now, this <laughs> Yoda fight... Riley, what do you think about this fight? I have a feeling you don't like it because you don't like anything. I don't like anything, and I don't like I don't like this fight very much. I've said this probably a million times, and I'll probably say it a million more times. I don't think Yoda should use a lightsaber. I have the same issue in uh, Revenge of the Sith. I don't think Palpatine should use a lightsaber. I think those guys are beyond lightsabers, and mm. and I didn't. It was cool in the moment. But then when I sit down and think about it, I think I would have preferred Yoda for them to just go straight to the Force battle. Yeah. yeah <clears throat> well, that's... they did, but not pull out the lightsabers. Mm -hmm. I got to say, I think the, what works so well about this, because I am one of four people in the world that, that join our Facebook group, Make It Five, um, who likes this Yoda fight in its entirety quite a bit. I What works for me is the way they build up to it with this very Kurosawa-esque, like, quiet little monk walking into the room. Like, the, he walks in very humbly, but you know something's about to go down. They have this force battle, which is really neat to watch. We've never seen anything like that in Star Wars before. 
and then the lightsaber comes out. The music is risen, and like the scene has built to that point. It feels like a natural evolution of the scene to me in the moment. It feels right that it happens. I see what you're talking about with Yoda feeling like he sh- maybe should have like evolved beyond lightsabers. What happens in a Kur- Kurosawa film after after he comes out and he does that like strut and he walks and right? It's like over real quick. Yeah. It's not. It's not like, like a big in flashy. Twin Sons, the Rebels. It's episode. not like a big flashy thing where he's flipping so around like, but and it is jumping really off quick. the stuff. So Twin Sons. This battle is really fist. Well, I mean, fist. You... <laughs> it is really fist. Like, but yeah, like a, a Twin Sons battle is maybe more along the lines of like that's a quick battle. Like yeah. that's one true. two kill. But okay, juxtapose this battle, which I think literally he takes out his lightsaber, and Yoda's hopping around. This thing lasts like. Probably a total of 20 seconds, honestly, before Dooku starts bringing the ceiling down and he has to stop. Mm-hmm. Like, it is really fast. It doesn't, it's not like the Darth Maul fight. It's not prolonged. It doesn't go on for minutes on end. It's a, maybe less than a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I like that because I like this idea that Yoda is constantly kind of, he he's older and, he, and he's weak, but when he needs to, he can summon this ability for like a little bit of time because after... He stops that ceiling from collapsing. He looks exhausted. Like, he can't do anything else mm-hmm. for the yeah. rest of the week. And back to the lightsaber thing. As we're going, like, deeper into the Star Wars uh, mythos, really, with all, all the new canon material, mm. it's... Uh, <laughs> it, it does... It, it's almost like the Jedi and the Sith are really just kind of like a little slap fight in the grand scheme of the Force. And mm. you get all these different things that are... I'm, <laughs> Scratching Riley right on the belly Riley right now. Riley just looked like he's, he's just like is drinking a warm cup of Folgers coffee. I mean, talk about and the Jedi, the Sith, and the Knights yeah. of the Old Republic too. I can't wait. This Break is once again like this would probably be better for our Force discussion, but it's almost like the Jedi and the Sith not only have the Jedi become dogmatic and settled in their ways, but so have the Sith as well. So it's maybe fighting with mean, fighting with the lights. Hmm? Does that mean that they've become like automatic dogs? Yeah. You watch Attic of the Clones? <laughs> I wish you kept the silence even longer. I might make more silence there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like it's it's almost like they decided to stop evolving or they thought it's like they they had settled in. They didn't think they needed to progress any further. They didn't think that there, there was anything more beyond, okay, so I'm facing a Sith right now. I have to whip out my lightsaber. Right. I'm a Sith. I have to use my lightsaber against this Jedi, and that's that's the as as the the pinnacle of of combat there was that interview with um Ahmed Best on I was there too Matt Gorley's podcast which is really awesome Ahmed Best claims in that podcast that he had a lot of input on this Yoda fight that he was kind of talking with the guys at ILM and he it was his idea at the time that Yoda shouldn't use a lightsaber he said that in the interview he said a lot of the choreography for the force battle he said that were his ideas I'm in agreement with him. It would be great if it was just force. Yeah. No, it would be super cool. So, after that... We get a secret wedding. Secret wedding. Dooku talking to Sidious. I will say, Dooku talking to Sidious has some of the coolest Star Wars music. Now, apparently, this is... I think it might not even be originally from the score. I think David Collins talked about how this is from, like, a deleted track from The Phantom Menace or something. Hmm. But this kind of, like, chorus-y, like, ominous, like type of music oh, yeah, that yeah, they're yeah. doing where he's like flying his like uh, kite yeah. into the planet um that musical moment and like oh guys this is where 
canonically in the movies. This is where the Death Star is introduced. Obi-Wan canonical. Oh, yeah. The seeds of the Death Star planted in, in this mm-hmm. movie, which is, uh, I, I mean, it's an important plot point to note. Yeah. Something that we, because we basically, we've talked about the entirety of this movie, so can we wrap this up by just, what I said that we would talk about in the Phantominus we never did was whether this holds up as, if you haven't seen the rest of the movies, does this hold up as episode two of this saga? Because, you know, you made the argument, like, it ruins the twist of who Luke's father is. Um, that aside, assuming you're a new viewer, you don't know that twist yet. Mm-hmm. Does this just work as a movie that's a continuation to Fen- Fentamonis? I don't know that Fentamonis? it does or not. I think you would think this is a really weird series of movies. The moment at the end of this movie, they show the entire clone army. It's almost exactly Stormtrooper armor. And you see Star Destroyers. You see all these weapons that are used by the Empire but they're ostensibly being used for the good guys. It is a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. But on its own, you're watching it, and you're like, oh, there's an army now. So I don't know if it works on its own for a new viewer. What's the music there? I forget. They play the Imperial March. Okay, well, is that the what thing it was? is yeah. there, so what if... I forgot to mention the music after What if that, you were right? just like an alien dropped on Earth, and then you see that there, and you're like, whatever, but the Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes comes, <laughs> and then you watch movie, and then <laughs> Imperial March plays. And then Destroyer Star come. Yeah. I don't know how to answer your question because I didn't understand it. But... Are you saying that? <laughs> I don't know. So what, what if it's flipped saying? on its head should as far bother? as like should we bother? the, no, the entire impact of the Imperial March with Star Destroyers isn't felt in Attack of the Clones, but yeah, rather without... Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, you... Now you have yes. the moment. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, so. Yeah. I think that that's the thing, right? Is that then when you watch Empire, the moment becomes, oh, finally, Darth Vader has like told, like finally, Luke knows now. Like it becomes a powerful moment in a different way, mm-hmm. but it's not, a, it's not a twist anymore. It's just like a powerful, finally, the secret is out. Star Wars is interesting because it's kind of a fluid thing. Like it's, it's almost as if nobody has no knowledge of it. The ocean. <laughs> Riley does not like Star Wars, guys. You know what? Let's just wrap it up. So we. <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, for another week, it's been Graham off talking. I don't have the thing pulled up on my phone. De- this the has been a delicately gonna... curated, long-form discussion of the internationally beloved Star Wars franchise, brought to you Sorry. lovingly in bi-weekly or weekly inclement- increments Inclement. Oh. by the loquacious yet soothing voices of your hosts, Riley, me, Jake. I'm disappointed in you. And Isaac. Seek rest out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do better next week, guys. <laughs> We are Welcome back. to Grand Moff Talking. Wait, are we actually recording? Yeah, we are recording. Okay, recording. well, hang on. I need to probably burp and then fart and then kill myself <laughs> and then we'll start. <laughs> That's staying in. Put that at the end. That should stay in. The... <laughs> so we need to do 10 seconds. The fact that I think it's a poor way to treat Shmi Skywalker. It is literally I that. Like. They weren't like her friends. No, I no, no, no. <laughs> I know that the they were the bad guys. people were not the good people. I'm just talking about it's... Doesn't Sam people seem like a racist term? Like it, it seems like they absolutely seems like it has to be an actual term. Tuscan Raider, right? They're Tuscan Raiders. But they, when yes. they call them Sam people, it seems very yeah. No, harsh. that's just them being racist. Yeah, that's just racism. It's in Tuscan Star Wars. Raiders. Yeah. yeah, and I contributed. Can't trust those little freaks. You did. You just used a racial yeah, slur. I, I, racial yes. slur? Uh, yeah, I think you said racial slur. Did I really? <laughs> yeah, you really said I'm racial slur. I'm thinking about McDonald's flurries <laughs> as always.